You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. Love that video, and I just love that final shot. That just makes me smile every time I see it. So, isn't that fun? Well, we're finishing up our series today on Jesus Peeps, and it's about this people in society and during Jesus' time that were considered outcast and undesirable, but who Jesus loved and cared for and cured, and that he engaged with, even though it was against some of the biggest and deepest taboos of his time. And in doing so, Jesus taught us a lot about inviting about serving others, and about loving others. So far, we've heard about a man who was demon-possessed. We heard about one of the criminals who was crucified along with Jesus, and we heard about the woman at the well. And today, we're going to learn about 10 people with leprosy and their encounter with Jesus. Our passage today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And this passage may or may not be familiar to you, but even if it is familiar... I encourage you to hear it in a fresh way because I think there's some very interesting things going on here. Let's read this together. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. As they left, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus replied, Weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except this foreigner. Then Jesus said to him, Get up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, first of all, in this passage, we hear that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and that he's traveling the border between Samaria and Galilee at this point. And I'd like us to take a look at this map while we talk about this. I know that the font is really little. I apologize. The best one I could find that showed everything, so I apologize for that. But the fact that our passage begins by saying Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem is significant because it does tell us where he's going, but it also tells us when he was going, and it tells us the route that he took. And you can tell that because when you read the passages in Scripture around our passage today, you see that Jesus is actually making his final trip to Jerusalem. And his journey begins at Capernaum, which when you look at this map and you see that top body of water, it's up there. And he's headed down toward the bottom where you might see a star in that larger body of water, which is the Dead Sea. And he's following the Jordan River, which travels between the two. And because of the topography there, he's working his way along this area and he moves over to the border between Galilee and Samaria. 
Now, the colors on this particular map are more about political boundaries, which I think is also kind of interesting. But where Jesus is, is that boundary between the pink and the yellow that you see up there. That's the border between Galilee and Samaria. And he continues on down to Jerusalem, and he's in Samaria until he gets um, at about 11 o'clock from where Jerusalem is. So he's got a ways to travel through this area of Samaria. And when he was in this area, he enters a village, and 10 men with leprosy approach him. Now, you may have noticed in the passage that we read together, it said that those men had skin diseases rather than leprosy. And some translations of the Bible say one and some say the other. The reason for that is that in biblical times, the term leprosy was actually used pretty loosely. It was a loosely defined term, and it was describing really any skin blemish or skin eruption that looked kind of suspicious. Actual leprosy, what we now call Hansen's disease, it's treatable today, but in Jesus' time it was thought to be radically contagious. People lived in dread of leprosy, and the people at that time thought that skin blemishes could also be an indication of liturgical uncleanness. So it wasn't just a physical problem, it was also perhaps a theological and problem between that person and God that was going on. So it's really difficult to exaggerate just how much and how deep the social alienation of that time was for these 10 men in our story, really of anyone with leprosy. People with leprosy lived in total and complete isolation. They were banished from their homes. They were banished from their spouses. They were banished from their children, their parents, the community, even the faith community. They were so feared that even to cross their shadow, some people thought would make them receive leprosy also. They thought it was that contagious. So sometimes these people with leprosy would band together in small communities to support each other. And the people who lived at that time were what we would call a collectivistic society. Here in America, we live in an individualistic society, and that's kind of what it sounds like, right? It's where the individual is the most important thing, and that kind of defines how everything is geared. Uh, here, we can do what we want, we can be what we want, we can pretty much say what we want and have whatever we want for the most part, and it's such a fundamental way of how we think about things that it's very hard to understand society that views things differently. There are many collectivistic societies in our world still today, though, and they find our individualistic perspectives just as difficult to grasp as we do theirs. Now, of course, there are advantages and disadvantages to both, but when you've been raised in one, it's really hard to understand any other way or any other perspective because it's all you see. It's really the basis for just about everything, and it pervades everything. People in collectivistic societies, they derive their identity from the group rather than from their individual status and achievements. Their primary responsibility is to the members of the group, not to themselves. They're committed to the development of the group, they're committed to the good of the group, and they subordinate all of their own choices and preferences to the group. This group, it's the basis of their identity. And so to be removed from the group, it's deeply traumatic. It's more than just lonely or difficult. It strikes at the very core of who they are as a person and how they see themselves and their place in the world. 
because of this, the important thing about leprosy in the Bible is not just the particulars of what's going on medically, perhaps even more than that, it's the effect that it had on the people who were afflicted with it. They were outcast. They were undesirable. They were contagious in more ways than just medically. They were abandoned. There was no real concern for what happened to them. They were cast out. You know, we're not so far past the COVID crisis that we don't remember the lockdowns and isolation. People sick and alone. In some cases, people dying alone. In fact, many people, even some in our church family here, are still experiencing the effects of the illness, the loneliness, the trauma, the grief. Some of you who are my age and up may remember the very early days of the AIDS crisis when the disease was first emerging with all the fear and misunderstanding around it that was very real and the outright terror of it that many people experienced. Those situations, they're horrible to be sure. Perhaps, though, they can give us just a little bit of insight into how difficult things were for people with leprosy during biblical times. So, these ten people with leprosy, they approach Jesus, keeping their distance from him as they're required to do, and they say, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. Now, notice a couple of things here. First, they say, show us mercy, not heal us. So, what exactly are they asking for? Are they asking for food or money, or are they asking to be healed? It's not really actually clear yet in the scripture what's going on at that point. And second, and this ties in with the first, they called Jesus Master. Is this just a term of respect, or do they know who Jesus is? They must know who he is, though, because when he sees them, he tells them to go show themselves to the priest, and they immediately leave to do so. They didn't ask questions. They just went. They clearly trusted Jesus, and they thought that he had the authority and power to help them because they did what he said, and it's only when they were leaving that they were healed. Isn't that interesting? Jesus didn't say, you're healed, He didn't say, go to the priest and then you'll be healed. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. That's normally the part they would have done after they were healed. And they would have known that too. But Jesus said to go show themselves to the priest and as they left, they were healed. Interesting. So, either they were really, really desperate, which they probably were, or they knew who Jesus was and knew that he could heal them. Okay, good. But there's the Samaritan. Why was he required to go to the priest? Samaritans believed in God, but their religious system was completely different. They lived outside of the requirements of Judaism. But he turned to go like the other nine, and in the turning was healed like the others. And he's the one who returned to Jesus to praise God with a loud voice, and then he fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then Jesus replied, Weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except for this foreigner? So, why is Jesus chastising the nine when they're doing exactly what he told them to do? And they weren't actually healed until they followed his instructions, turning to go to a priest. 
And why did one turn back to praise God and thank Jesus? There are actually several interesting questions we can ask in just this small section, all kinds of things we could speculate here. Regardless, though, Jesus asks, no one returned to praise God except for this foreigner? Some translators, excuse me, some translations say outsider. Jesus isn't referring to the man's disease. He's referring to the fact that the man is a Samaritan. Now, Jewish people of that time really hated Samaritans because they thought they were heretics, and really the feelings were mutual for much the same reason. Jewish people would usually go a long way out of their way to avoid Samaria and the people from there. That Jesus is crossing near its border is a little unusual. Well, not really for Jesus, but certainly for most Jewish people of his time. Unusual for Jesus, though? Not really. Jesus was all about moving past societal boundaries to make sure that everyone, everyone, knew that God loved them and cared about them. But the leper? He was a foreigner. He was an outsider. He was an outcast. In fact, he was really a double outcast. He was a leper and a Samaritan. And Jesus tells him, your faith has healed you. And one more question. All ten were healed, weren't they? But Jesus only tells this man from Samaria, the tenth leper, your faith has healed you. As we've said, people from Samaria were considered by Jewish people to be social outcasts and religious heretics. But because all ten of the men with leprosy were dealing with something much more fundamental, they had banded together for community to help them survive. Their common problem had made their Jew and Samaritan distinctions unimportant, not just to each other, but of course also to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't point out the man's origin until after he's cleansed him. He says, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except for this foreigner? The ones who should have celebrated what God had done, the ones who were the faithful ones, the one who thought the other guy was the heretic, they left. And only the foreigner, the heretic, receives this full blessing from Jesus. Get up. Go on your way. Your faith has healed you. Now, there are many stories in the Gospels about Jesus healing people. But although people are healed by Jesus in this story, that's not really the focus. The focus is on how those who are healed respond. The Samaritan's status as an outsider allowed him to see his healing differently from the other nine. Instead of seeing it as a step toward the improvement of his own circumstances, he saw it as a miracle from God, to which the only possible response was praise. Instead of going toward his own individual improved status, he turned back to Jesus in gratitude and thanksgiving. You know, people who are on the margins of society often see things differently from those on the inside, don't they? Those on the margins, on the outside even, they may be less invested in status. They may not even see the status quo, and so maybe they're more open. Since they're not a part of the system anyway, they can often see things with fresh eyes. They can often see things that those on the inside are blind to. To use a different metaphor, imagine that all ten of the lepers were at the bottom of the ladder. 
for nine of them, healing from leprosy offered a way to move up the ladder, to move back into polite society through the necessary steps of priestly verification and ritual purification. To them, healing was an opportunity to climb the ladder, to get back in. Is that a bad thing? Not necessarily, but that's not all there is. And we love ladders, don't we? And we love knowing our place on them. Okay, I'm here. It's okay that I'm not way up there, but at least I'm not way down there, right? I may be even a little further down than I'd like to be, than I should be. I might be in bad shape. I might be in a bad way. I might be bad even, but at least I'm not that. At least I'm not like them. At least I'm not that low. The Samaritan, though, he never even got on the ladder due to his status as a foreigner. And because he wasn't looking for the next rung up, he could see something that the others had missed. He was thinking, forget the ladder. Jesus is healing people over here. Look what God is doing. And it's only then that Jesus says, for the first time in this story, words of healing. Get up and go on your way. Your faith has healed you. The Samaritan knew there was more. He knew that something more than just cleansing had taken place. He knew that God was up to something big. And he returned and praised God with a loud voice. And he fell on his feet, face at Jesus' feet, and thanked him. I wonder what the other nine were thinking at this point. They couldn't have gotten so far down the road already that they didn't see what was going on, that they didn't hear what was going on. The Samaritan was speaking in a loud voice, right? Loud enough that Scripture thought it was important to point it out. But they kept going. Did they think, well, he's just missing out? Did they think, now that we're healed, he's a step below us again? He's back where he belongs again? Did they even think of him at all? We read the story and we just shake our heads. But who are we to point a finger at them? If we're honest with ourselves... We know that we can be like the nine, can't we? We say, thank you for our blessings and move on without really being moved. Or maybe not even telling God thanks at all, just getting back to our to-do list. Do we praise God in a loud voice or do we say that, sure, God's done good things for us, but let's not get too carried away about it. But we've seen people who do get carried away about it, haven't we? They praise God loudly. Maybe they do get carried away. And how does it make us feel? How often do we look a little sideways at someone if they're singing a little too loud in worship? If they're a stranger, getting a little carried away, getting really into the music, we might smile politely, we might clap softly, just a little. Look around, kind of embarrassed. Embarrassed for them. This person who's catching every single thing that happens, every single element of the worship service when we zone in and out. This person who expresses gratitude for the blessings that we take for granted, who gets really excited about our raggedy old Bibles and asks how you read it and where you should start and who's really excited and on fire for God and wants to know how you get started on this Christian walk. Do we experience it with joy and wonder? Or do we experience it with embarrassment? Do we say, wow, God is really up to something here? Or do we think, wow, they really need to settle down a little? Do we join in their excitement? Or do we wish they would just stop? 
But deep down, we know that they're the ones with the authentic joy and praise. And we know deep down that the real emotion that we're experiencing is conviction, that we're either too inhibited to really express ourselves or we just don't have the same joy and wonder, and we know that we should. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that's what's going on, don't we? So, in biblical times, the lepers and Samaritans were really obvious. Who would be the lepers in our society today? To the Jewish people of Jesus' time, lepers, and especially Samaritan lepers, were beyond God's care, beyond God's love, beyond God's redemption, there was absolutely no hope for them, so it was better to just avoid them. Who are the lepers in our society today? Who do we see as being better to just avoid? Who do we see as being beyond God's love and care? Who do we see as being beyond hope? Who do we see as being beyond redemption? Who do we not even see? The key point in our passage today is not in the healing, but in the subsequent blessing. And that the Jewish lepers thought they already had it, but that the Samaritan knew there was more and desired it. The Jewish lepers were outcast, but the Samaritan leper was an even lower outcast. Once the Jewish lepers were healed, they didn't realize there was more, and they thought they were back in a superior position. They left the Samaritan leper behind, and they never looked back. So now I need to ask you a tough question. Are you ready? Who do we welcome in a superficial way, not really meaning it, as if we're the ones who have it all together? Who do we think that there's no hope for? Who do we think is beyond God's love and care, beyond God's redemption? Who do we think it's better to just avoid? Who do we wish would just go away? You can picture a face right now, can't you? Be honest with yourself. You can picture a face, a specific person or type of person. You can see them right now. That's the person. That's the person that you're okay with missing out on God's love. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all thought that at some point. Let's confess that to God. Let's confess that we've had those thoughts and take a moment to do that right now. And now let's ask God to help us see everyone as he sees them, to care about everyone as he cares about them, to trust God's word that no one is beyond his love and care, and to be glad that that's so. Otherwise, we miss God's real message. The Samaritan leper was the absolute lowest of the lowest, even lower than the other outcasts in our series, the demon-possessed, the thieves, the Samaritan woman. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We know that. We say that. Scripture tells us that. It's in our passage today. It's in Luke 15 with the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. And in Luke 19 where Jesus says it specifically that he came to save and seek the lost. We see it in the stories of the Bible. Do we see it when it's right in front of us? 
And sure, Jesus loves us just as we are and too much to leave us the way that we were. We know that and we say it, but do we really want it? Do we want it for others? Or do we just try to figure out where we are on the ladder? Now, to be fair, the pace of life and the cacophony of needs all around us tend to produce this kind of tunnel vision that blocks out anything that's not already on our agendas. That's what happened, by the way, to the priest and the Levite who walked right on by the man who had been beaten and robbed in the story of the Good Samaritan. Nothing in Scripture said that they were bad or uncaring people. They just had things to do and places to be. But it was the Samaritan, the outcast, the undesirable one who did what the self-perceived godly people should have done. In our story today, Jesus reminds us that sometimes the least likely person becomes the greatest example of faith. A Samaritan of all people, the foreigner, the social and religious outcast, one who would not be judged as worthy at all. He epitomized this kind of godly life and attitude. He demonstrates a faith that lays a hold on God and cannot and will not remain silent in response to what God has done in his life, that publicly and spontaneously and joyfully directs thanksgiving to God. And in doing so, he receives God's full blessing. Were the other nine healed of their leprosy? Sure they were. But the only one who had the faith to return to Jesus, praising God, he's the only one who saw that what Jesus had done did not mean just that his own life would improve. Rather, it meant something much more. In the healing work of Jesus Christ, the love of God, it was both present and it was powerful. It reached beyond the boundaries of clean and unclean, healthy and unhealthy, Jewish and Samaritan. Perhaps it was in recognizing this love, in returning to Jesus and praising God, that the Samaritan was truly made whole. The Samaritan leper, he went from separation to grace to gratitude, recognizing what God had done for him and proclaiming it loudly. How about us? Do we show ourselves grateful to God with our whole life and our entire being? Do we recognize what God is doing in our lives and the so much more that he has for us? Do we celebrate and thank God for it? Do we love that God wants this for everyone? Everyone? Do we love God enough? Are we grateful to God enough to invite everyone, everyone to join us? If we don't, we're missing out on all that God has for us. Let's commit to ask God to show us our lepers and help us experience the full blessing that he has for everyone. Everyone. Let's pray. Holy, gracious God, we love you. We thank you, God, for your holy scripture that you allow us to see in a fresh way and convict us. Help us to hear your message. Help us to trust your message. Help us to have the courage to follow your example and follow your will. Help us to see everyone as you see them. We strive to be more, more like you every day, and we thank you, God. Amen.